morning. Hey, John. How is everybody? Glad you're here. Um, today we're going to be talking about something that is super easy to talk about. It's very easy to understand, and you've probably heard all these verses, um, so you can just block them out and pretend like it doesn't matter, or we can try and work towards something, because this isn't a knowledge issue that we're going to cover today. It's really more of a heart issue, because I think probably if you've grown up in church, then you've heard all this stuff before. And a lot of us get kind of immune to it, and you can sit through it, and you grow callous to it, and you just work through it and forget about it. And sometimes we have to get reevaluated and change how we feel about certain things. Sometimes we looked at things wrong our entire life. I mean, you've grown up in church and you thought, this is the way things are, this is the way things are, and then one day someone says something to you and it's like, oh, I've been doing that wrong the whole time. And so the Bible is always the same. It's been the same since the day it was written till now. But sometimes, most of the time, it's the way we perceive things that has to change. And today we're going to be talking about community. And to start with community, you have to start with us. You see, we think of community, we think of our neighbors and uh, the place we live and our parks and you know, all the different things we go to, the corner store and all that stuff. That's, that is community. That's probably the community you live in. And we could talk about all the different cool and great things we could do in our communities as far as that way goes. And um, all would be great and effective and as good people. And eventually, as Christians, that's our goal is to move out into that community. But to have a healthy relationship of Christianity in our community, you have to start with a healthy church. And so our first community outreach is right here. We are the first community that needs to be healthy. If our church isn't healthy, then we are not effective in any other way. You see that you can come here and sit here every Sunday. It's awesome that we're all here. It's great. We live in a country we get to worship freely. And that's awesome, right? But that, for most people, is the end. That's, that's it. We get to sit here, hear some guy talk for a while, maybe shed some tears, maybe give some money, and that's our church community. We've been growing up in a culture where that's church. Um, i got to go to church on Sunday. and that, Most of us maybe uh, have heard that or even felt like that, possibly in our own lives, because that's just how it is. That's how we've grown up. The church is a Sunday morning operation where you go to get your sins out of the way, and feel good again, and move through the week. The church community, though, is not supposed to be that. And we have a lot of, I think, misconstrued ideas about what church is, and maybe I'm just way off, maybe I have these wrong ideas, maybe this message would be just for me, but I would feel like if I had those, possibly you would have them too, or maybe just have never looked at it in a different way. And, you know, we got to talk about church community, we're going to see that we have to figure out where the church is ran and how it's ran. And, and when you hear the word how the church is ran or how is your church running, most people think of governed. How is your church governed? And when we think about that, if you haven't grown up in church, there's all these different church words that you're going to hear right now, and it's going to be kind of weird stuff. But if you have, you've probably heard any of these ideas. When you think of how the church is ran, you think how it's governed, and you say, well, our church is pastor-led. Our church is deacon-led. Our church has a board. Our church has a group of elders. Our church has these different things, right? 
That's not how your church is ran. That's how your church is governed. And if you study the scriptures on how to govern a church, it's not that much to it. There's very few things that are in here how to govern a church. And that's not, an, that's not an, a mistake by the Bible. Because God doesn't really care how you govern your church. I mean, there's rules in here how to do it, and we follow those, and here we have tried to follow those in this church. But there's only a couple. And so when you govern a church, well, that takes certain things that we do, and we keep to that. But how your church is ran is this way, and this is what I've noticed. And I know I'm young, and I haven't lived a long time. I'm only 36 years old. I've worked in several different churches, and I have been a part of uh, several different ministries. And what's been tough for me in all of those things is I've seen every type of, type of church government in each one of them. Each one, I've seen a different type. I've seen sat with boards, argue about carpet and colors of things. I've sat where a pastor comes in and he's the leader and now you just do what he says. I've sat in... Now this would be my first elder-ran church where we have the elders and the pastors working together. That's different, you know. And aside from this ministry and seeing every other type of governed organization of church and the ones I've worked with, the sad thing is, is I've seen them all fail miserably. And that is tough. Not only have I sat there in the meetings, right, but I've been in leadership in those meetings. And so the fault would have to fall on me as well because I was there to raise a voice or say how I felt. And so how it was governed, seemingly to me now that I've sat through all that stuff, matters very little. That's why the Bible covers it very little. How it's ran is making the difference. And this is what I mean by that. In all of those churches that I worked at in the past, I've also seen them succeed greatly. And by church success, I would mean this. Church success is what we're going to find is, is there's a bunch of people coming in that want to hear the word of God and want to get saved. Success. That is success because that's what God tells us to do. Disciple each other, raise a family, and become something. So I've seen success, and I've seen all of them fail. So what's the difference in how it's ran compared to success or failure? Well, first you have to cover some ground rules for being a church. A church is different than your local community hangout. You see, a church is different than this. We have some certain things that you cannot get away from because this is what makes us a church. One, we believe God is number one. That's it. There is God. We worship God. He's the, he's the boss. He's the ruler. That's how we're going to establish the ground rules, right? The word of God, this is the rules. If you don't follow the rules... This is it. Anybody who adds to this is wrong. Anybody who takes away from this is wrong. If it says sin is sin and we choose not to do it, we're not a church. We're a group. We're just a hangout. We're no different than the, you know, the military hangout groups or the biker gangs or any other type of group that hangs out and just wants to have fun. And we accept that our church is to be ran by the Holy Spirit. See, we have God, and he sends Jesus to be our Savior. He dies on the cross. He takes away our sins. We accept that to be true. The Holy Spirit then enters our lives, our hearts, and then we are ran as a church by that, governed by the Bible. So those are the ground rules for a church. If your church isn't that, if you're from a different church today or have grown up in a different way than that, let's just cover that baseline. That's wrong. 
This is church. This is the, the rules. So the rules part, we covered that. That's how it's going to be governed as far as the government style we're going to use. Those three very super important things. A lot to it, but it's easy to summarize. So how do we run it? There's two different ways that I've noticed that the church has been ran. The church has been ran like this. And this is super important. And me being saying this, that I am in leadership, if there's fault to be found, I would have to say that I'm part of that, right? And if it's going great, then I'd have to say, well, I'm part of that. So what are we doing wrong or right? And so in every group, we have to figure out what makes this healthy. The first type of church that I've seen, and every time I've seen fail, is ran like this. Ran like a business. Now, churches that are ran like a business are, in my opinion, through much history, if you look, is destined for failure. And what I mean by that is this. We have a CEO, because we're looking at it as a Western world. The CEO comes in, he sits down at the board, and the board would be managers, right? The elders, the Sunday school teachers. And they sit down at the table. The CEO tells you what this is going to be like, and you're going to listen, and you're going to do this, and we're going to move through. And the rest of us are employees and treated like that. No, so if we have a CEO, and we have managers, and we have employees... And that's how we're ran, so we show up here. Who likes to get up to go to work on Monday? Anyone who's had a job hates getting up on Monday and going, man, i got to go to work. Now, what I'm about to talk about is in the euphoric state. So when, we when we're talking about the contrast between this business and family, which we're going to talk about next, I understand that we're going to talk about it in a perfect ideal. And each re every relationship has ups and downs. So you can't be broken from the fact that even if we have a perfect church, you're going to have days when you might not want to show up. That's a given. Okay? That's not a horrible thing. But if we're running it right, then we should all want to be here and doing things. So as the business idea, you come to your business. And whether you're in that Sunday school idea, running the bistro table here, the different manager skills that you would have, then, then you're part of the management. And if you're just sitting in here, you're just part of the employees. Well, the reason why that fails is this. If you go to work on Monday and your boss says, boy, I had a rough weekend, you know nothing about that for most people. CEO of the company comes in, they walk down and they tell me what to do, and I don't know their name really, I don't know their kids' names, I don't know who they are, I know nothing about them. I don't necessarily even care. I might care because I'm a Christian and I'm supposed to, but I don't necessarily care. When the manager comes in and he says, today we're going to go through what's expected of you. If you're not on time, you're in trouble. If you're not doing your job, you're in trouble. This is what I want done. This is how you will do things. All of us love that. I love going to work and everything that they tell me to do, I just have to do it. That's such a joy. But the problem is, if the CEO comes in and tells me to do something, and I say, hmm, not today, I'm good. Guess what? Two weeks from now, my kids are eating out of a garbage can because I don't have a job. And that's what keeps me wanting to be there on Monday. That's why I show up on time. That's why when the boss comes in, I do what they say. And as a Christian, you're supposed to do everything as unto the glory of God, right? So we show up and we try and do it with a good attitude. But the fact is, if they didn't pay me, I wouldn't go on Monday, right? I didn't hang out with my boss this weekend. I don't even know what he did. 
I don't know his kids' names. I, don't hang out, I didn't hang out with any of my coworkers this weekend. I didn't go over to their house last week. I don't really know these people for the most part. That is a business-ran church. It'll be the exact same outcome. We won't know each other. We won't live together. We won't share things. We won't have any idea what's going on. And that is destined for failure. And it is, it is easy to say and hard to do. So what does it look like in a family-ran church? In a family-ran church is the exact opposite. It's much like you're going to share your life together. You see, if this is a business, I come in here and I drop money in that offering plate, it's the worst job in the world. I pay to come here. But if it's a family, I'd give to all of you. Right? If anyone here was in need, I'd make sure you had money. I'd make sure I could make it to your house to help. I'd make sure that if you had a busted down car or issues, we'd take care of each other. I would know you. I'd know your kids' names. I'd know your heart. I'd know your struggles. Because that would be a family. I watched a pastor who, I mean, this guy is dynamic. When he would get up and speak, it was life-changing. And I only knew him as like a traveling minister. At one time, I was in his local area a few states away, and I decided, I'm going to go visit this guy. Because I bet you his church could teach me how to run a church. And I watched him sit down in his office, and it's 10 to 10. Their church started at 10. And, I, and he just sat there, thinking, man, we've been in this office the whole time. One minute to service, he picked up his Bible. He ran out to the uh, congregation, to which there was just a handful of people for a church that had been there for 25, 30 years. He preached a sermon that was amazing. I mean, this guy could preach. Packed up his Bible at the end, sang a song, went back to his office and sat down. The congregation stated that mainly that's how his church was ran. No one wanted to be there. There's no reason to show up. Because it wasn't a family. You see, with our ground rules, with the idea that we are all going to be Christians to be part of this family, things will change. Our hearts will change. Our attitudes will change. We'll work towards something. But if our churches ran that distance, it just won't make it. Because your needs don't matter to me. I don't really care. I didn't come to your house. I didn't help you out. I don't know your name. That's the way church is for a lot of people. The Bible says the opposite of that. And like I said, a lot of these verses are very different, uh, probably to live out than to read. We're going to cover a few of them. And it is tough. And church is sometimes hard. Some of us give everything we have every Sunday here. Some of you, this has become a business. It is just a place where you go to work. Is that healthy for you? And if right now you're that person, you can tell yourself it's, you know it's not. You don't feel attached. You feel distant. You feel disconnected. You slowly walk away. You go farther and farther back. But the Bible wants us to do something different. And why is that? Why are we a family? If you turn to Galatians 4, uh, 1 through 7, for those of you who have your Bible, if not, it's going to be on the screen. In Galatians 4, it talks about why we're a family. And it is this. Galatians 4, 1 through 7 says, Think of it this way. 
If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything the father had. They have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set. And that's the way it was with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us, who were slaves to the law, so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own children. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Man, that is powerful. If you see what Galatians is saying right there is the law is the Old Testament. That's way back when. They had to do all these different rules to get God's favor, and that's gone because Jesus Christ came here to save our soul, and he did that, and when he did, he adopted us. And adopted us means we are his family. So as a Christian, what we talk about all the time is how to get saved, and then we have to move on past just that getting saved and how to become healthy and to be discipled. And part of that is this, is that we grow together as a church family. The reason why we call each other brother and sister and all that stuff and all those churchy terms isn't because we like to make it up and we have a cool gang. It's because this is what the Bible says we are. I am your brother. You are my sister. You are my brother. We are family. So why do we need to act like a family and how does this need to be a family? It's because God says that's what we are. Now there's some really hard stuff that's about to come with this. It might not be hard for you. Maybe you're a social butterfly that loves hanging out with other people. Maybe you're a weirdo like me that would like to sit by himself and not talk to anyone. If that's the case, this is going to be harder for you. Some of us sitting out here don't want to get to know other people because you're going to realize, or you think they are going to realize how horrible you are. I mean, I know there's people out there like that. You think, man, if they really got to know me, they probably wouldn't like me. And the fact is this, as a family, some of you are just the weirdo cousin. That's just how it goes. We all have different people in our family that no one really wanted to hang out with, but you're supposed to love each other, right? We're supposed to be here for each other, and, and there are relationships that are had to be made with every weirdo cousin. He's got buddies too, right? He comes with his group of weirdo friends. We all think, what in the world is this guy doing? But... They love each other. They take care of each other. So in church, it will be no different as our family. You don't have to want to hang out with everybody here. That's not wrong. But to hang out with nobody here, mistake. The Bible says it's a mistake. To have no friends here, to not know these people, to not want to be a part of their life, to not want to be part of their needs is a failure. To distance yourself and set back is a mistake. And so, yes, I don't say... I know who I am, you know. I could have my just group of friends. I would consider myself probably the weirdo cousin. I could hang out with them and not talk to anybody else, and I'm okay with that. And in reading the scriptures and studying and going through this stuff, I realized that my ideas weren't necessarily right. The way I was doing things isn't correct. And so I needed to reach out. I needed to change how I was. I needed to make things different. Now, am I still me? Of course. If it wouldn't be for God saying the things that we're going to read, I would not talk to anyone. And that's not to be like a snob. 
There's a lot of people that we think are snooty because they're not out hanging out with everyone, and really they, they're like me. They're just weird, you know. And some of you want to hang out with everyone, and that's awesome, and that's a gift. But the Bible doesn't allow us to make it on our gifts or on our personalities any different than what it says. We are to be part of this family. Because God knows this, that the church community cannot grow unless we are this family. So let's turn our Bibles to Acts. In Acts chapter 2, we're going to see how the church is supposed to be. Now when you read through this, man, it is nearly impossible for some of us. But it doesn't mean that you don't need to change the way you feel about it. In Acts 2, it says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to the fellowship, and to the sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them. All the apostles perform, and the apostles performed many miracles, signs, and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God, enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. I just presented God's church plan. This is the first church. Right here. Amazing thing happens. The Holy Spirit comes down, wham! And he is on everybody. And the first idea of what church should be is planted right here in Acts 2. That's church. Does that sound like your church? If it does not sound like your church, there's only one person that can make that change. And that is you. If we're following these ground rules that God's in control, the Holy Spirit leads us, the Bible's the rules, if we are setting those things and we have that standard and our church is still not those things, there's only one person that can change that idea. It's you. It's me. You see, if I decide that I don't want these things, where does it start? It starts out with the teaching of God. So everybody comes to church and listens. Man, most of us have that down packed. Sunday morning we show up and we got to want to learn God's Word. And maybe we take that home and hopefully we study it throughout the week. And that's a big part of who we are. But that's only one part of what the church is. See, that's self. And in our culture, most of our culture is surrounded by selfishness. I can study all week long and not talk or hang out with any of you, and it's done no good. It's worthless, except for your own self-wisdom. But spiritualness in your own life, God's grace in your own life, God's all these things, knowledge in your own life, is only healthy to be shared. Because you don't live on an island by yourself. That's not who we are. The reason why you're given all those things, that wisdom, that knowledge, is for one, to grow spiritually in yourself with strength and wisdom, and two, help other people to do it. They're sitting right next to you. So they did that. Another big thing that they did, and that's tricky, is they hung out with each other. They went to each other's homes. They had a life together. And then, let me tell you what this is not. It's not Facebook. Facebook is not a relationship. Liking something on somebody's post is not the same as caring for them. Don't get confused on these things because in our social media idealistic world, we are, that's it. That's how we deal with people. Well, I typed you a message. 
That is not love. That is not care. That is not compassion. You may get to know somebody through that and be able to talk to them about it, but let me explain this. That's not a relationship, and if that's the type of relationships you have, you're missing out. I say you're missing out because you can't grow having those types of relationships with these people. You can't be influential in their life. They can't be influential with yours. They went to each other's homes. Now, for some of us, we could look around this room, and I, I don't want to, I'm not trying to make everybody creeped out. There's some things that we're going to cover in the next verse that uh, everybody starts to clam up, like, oh, man, he's going to start preaching weird. I don't want to make it odd, because it is already a struggle enough, especially in with who we are anymore. I mean, most of us, you see someone pulling in your driveway, and we're shutting the curtains. Please go away. You know? And that's our culture. We don't have the front porch where we hang out anymore. We hang out in the backyard because we're just hoping you won't stop by. And please, if my neighbors would just stay in their own yard, I don't want to talk to you about your problems. And that's how we feel. And that's, that is the normal. But it's not a Christian. It's just not. It's not what the Bible says we can be. So what we do then is it says they hung out in each other's houses. Look around this room and ask yourself if you have a relationship, a real relationship, aside from your family, with anyone here. If you don't, it's time to change that. Maybe you need to, need to open up your home. Maybe you're going to have to go over somebody's house to invite you. Hardest thing for me is when somebody I don't know invites me to their house. That's, I'm tense the whole time. I don't want to be there. And some of you are saying, well, I'm not inviting that jerk over. That's not why I'm telling you that. It's because I want to be able to relate so you can see that you're not the only person that might feel that way. It's the hardest thing for me. And some, some of you thinking, man, if they see how I live, that's the worst for me. What if I'm not perfect? What if I'm in any list of excuses that we use why people shouldn't come over to my house? Like my wife is a great housekeeper. Takes care of our house. Awesome. But if, you told, if I told her, hey, so-and-so from the church is stopping by in 10 minutes, panic. I mean, it's a meltdown. And I say the same thing every time. They're not coming to see our house. Yeah, but i got to do this and this and this and this because she takes great concern with that and very, you know, she does a great job and a lot of pride in it. But that is her main focus, like, oh, no. And so that's a lot. I'm sure a lot of women here feel the same way. They're not coming over to see your house. No one really cares what your house looks like. If you do, stop it because that's wrong too. So some of us need to look around this room today and say, okay, I'm going to make a relationship with a person that I don't know here. It may not be your best friend. They may, you may never hang out. You may get to know them and decide they are that weird cousin. And that could be the end of your relationship. But you tried. You made that move. You took a step in the right direction. And that's what we have to do. Because you know what it says? The Bible says that. Not me, because I wouldn't tell you that. I guarantee some other things that it talks about is at the end here, and this is why all this stuff happened. You see, they gave to each other. Some of us are very good with this. You see a need, and you can float somebody some money. Maybe you have a good job, maybe you have some money in the bank, and so that's your way of helping. And that's great, man. That's what the Bible says. That's part of it. That's one part. But just like a lot of people I know that are parents or grandparents that really don't want to be involved in their children's life at all, they can give you a hundred bucks and they think that that's the way they have a relationship. That's not a relationship. That's meeting a need. And you might do a great job at that. And if you're doing that, good. Because it's part of it. 
It says right there, we're to meet each other's needs. And so if I see a need that you have and I can help, I should help. So should you. So that's part of it. That's one part. And why does all of that take place? All of that takes place for this part at the end. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were saved and being saved, and the church grew. Do you want the biggest and best church plan that has ever been put out? I mean, you can read books by all these great, important pastors that come in and they'll tell you how to do everything. And boy, they got life figured out and their church is great. But I can guarantee you that their church is ran like a family. Because they might write all these things down for their business ideas and that can happen. But it's because there's a family. Because the people in the church are a family. And they grow because their friends want to come and their friends are their friends. And so they make friends with their new friends and everybody wants to be here because they have God's love. And they do all of those things so we can grow. Who gets to grow through that? These new people? Not just the new people, so do you. Your spirituality in Christ will die if you become the person who just keeps it to yourself. You will constantly struggle with the same things that you always have. You will never grow. You will never become more than this because that is not the way we're made. You're not too bad to hang out with and you're not too good to hang out with other people. You're not too bad or poor to give. When people hear give, like I brought up money, that's not just the only way we give. Maybe you have a skill. Maybe you just have a caring heart. Maybe you can give a ride. Maybe you can go help do something that, you know, you're just good at. It doesn't have to be money. But if we all did that for each other, boy, things would change. You wouldn't have as many hard times or needs. What we can't have, though, is one group of people doing it all. If you look at most churches, and this is part of the failed type of church, there is 10% of the people who will do everything. And some of you people in this room right now are that type. You will do it all. Okay, anything you're asking, you're going to do it. And you're hearing me talking and you're thinking, boy, I should do more. I could do more. That's not what I'm saying. I'm talking to the people who have not done anything. The people, if you're, if you're feeling guilty right now because you do nothing, maybe I'm talking to you. But if you're feeling guilty right now and you do everything, that's not God saying, hey, maybe you should do more. So the church grew. So you ask yourself this, do you want our church to grow? And that would be where we were at. We, in my opinion, have all the dynamics to being the greatest church in our community. But it will take this type of behavior. I am going to have to get to know you. And not just your name. The second thing we see in Acts, in, uh, Acts 4, 32 through 35, and this is where things usually get a little funny, and I'm not going to talk to you about planting a seed today and I'm going to get all your money, or maybe I'll send the bucket back around and hopefully I can get rich. That's not what we're going to go through. In Acts chapter 4, what it's going to talk about here is the church and their possessions. And I think for us, it talks more about selfishness because many of us have many possessions. Some of, we're all very wealthy. And even some, some of you are thinking, man, I didn't even get to eat this morning. I'm talking as a culture, as a group, as a country, we're very wealthy. We have a lot of stuff. And in this group, in Acts, when these, this first church came out, mind you, they're, le they're leaving the law. They're leaving Judaism. They're leaving all these rules. And so many people speculate that why they're doing what they're doing here is because their businesses were going to fail anyways, their lands are worth nothing. I'm not sure that's why. That's what people who are smarter than me wrote. 
So that's maybe why this happens. But in Acts chapter 4, which we don't have up there, you're going to see this. It says, the people met together every day, same as in Acts 2. They hung out, eating, going to each other's house, having fun, being with each other, but they did this as well. They sold all their possessions and brought them to the apostles, and they distributed them equally among the people so no one had a need. Wow. Imagine if our church was that giving. Imagine if you had something and you said, I would be willing to sell it so you're okay. I'm not saying to go out after this and sell everything you have. But I'm saying, in your heart, would you be willing to do it? If I had a true need and you knew me and you knew that it was a true need and I was hurting and I couldn't have what I needed, would you go without? Would we be willing to do that? Do you think for one second in your heart you could say, well, I do have that second car. Wow, that's huge. People would think that's crazy. Or I do have some extra clothes. Or I do have some extra of this. Or I only have one, but I don't need it. I could do without. I want to buy this, and I've been saving up for it, and I've been working really hard, and I'm very diligent with my money, and I see your need, and I say, huh, here you go. I wonder in our church today if we would be willing and able to do that. That's part of it. Because that's a family. Because I guarantee if your mom or your dad or your brother or your sister came over and said, man, I'm broke, I have nothing, you'd do the same. Because you're a family. If we're a family, we will be effective. And so this is what a healthy church looks like. Like Acts. We love each other. We hang out with each other. We give to each other. And there's other things that go with that. And these things are very tough as well. One thing is, it's like prayer. It says, and they are given to each other in prayer daily. Think to yourselves right now, much like the relationship, if you know any person in this room, if you know anybody other than your family or your close friend, think if you know anyone here's prayer request. Could you pray for me today? And I'm not saying I pray for Luke. You know, help him get through this. I'm saying, could you pray for me? Could I pray for you? And obviously our church, even at this point, is too big for us to know each and every person's prayer request, but could you do that for anyone? If you cannot, you're just stuck. Our church is stuck. We'll always be this. We will never move forward if we can't move through these things. If you don't know me well enough and I don't know you well enough to say, boy, Brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so is having this. We need to pray for them. How could we meet their need? If you don't have that, you're stuck. We've stopped. And if we've stopped, we'll die. We will fail. We move into the business idea of things. We don't move into the love, the caring, the family, the prayer, the giving, the selfishness. We don't do that. We just stay in our pews and we sit here in our seats we soak up the knowledge. We know that God loves us. We're getting to go to heaven. We're doing all those things that good Christians get to do, and we're dying as a church. And this is what will happen, I guarantee. Because this is unlucky if I've been in church. Five different churches I've get to see make the exact same thing happen. I've seen amazing things happen, and then I've seen them move away from this idea. Every one of them knew God as their Savior. All of them were super smart as Christians, could outquote the Bible better than me. 
All of those things were there. Led by the Holy Spirit. Bible was the rules. Gave up on this. Family died. We're not friends. We don't talk. No one hangs out. It splits apart. And it fails miserably. And that's why. It's when you quit mattering. It's when you quit looking at somebody else and wanting to make their needs met. It's when we quit praying for each other. It's when we quit going to each other's homes and making sure we're okay. When you quit doing all the things that the Bible tells you about, step one is getting saved. That's not where it stops. This is what you're saved to, a purpose. If you choose not to do those things, I'll have you to understand this, and this is what I've come to grasp in my reality of Christianity. It is then sin. To know what to do and to do it not is sin. So we have to ask ourselves, do we continue to live in our selfish lifestyle and continue to sin and not become a community or a family? Or are we going to let ourselves go? Whether it be pride or whether it be just because you don't think anyone really wants to know you. It's time to move past that. And this is what I would encourage today. If you don't know anyone here's prayer requests or problems or struggles, maybe it's time to reach out. It's going to be awkward. So not right after. You don't have to run to each other and make it all odd. But maybe you should, maybe in, maybe in your mind, think about someone, look around and say, I don't know them. Maybe I could try. I've never been to their house. Maybe not just stop over and give my wife a heart attack. But give me a call or something. you know. Or maybe you could say, I don't even know their name. I'm not really part of this family. See, they may be, you might not be. See, it's time for you to become part of the family. It's time for you to get involved. It's time for you to do these things. And for some of us, in our natural way, would like to sit back and just be left alone. And so for us, that would be the hardest. And I understand your struggle right now, and you're thinking, this guy is a jerk, please make him stop. You can't tell me this is sin because I do believe the Bible, and if it's the, the truth, then I'm supposed to. Now you're making me feel bad. If that's the case, I'm sorry. I've already had to deal with it. I go up and I talk in front of people. I go and meet people. And I don't always do the best. I don't. Sometimes when I'm me, I'm back doing nothing, trying to disappear, and I have to fight my way out because the Bible says I have to. So the Bible in this is what we're going to talk about, and what we've talked about today is those things. We love each other. We work together. We move together. We help each other. We see each other's needs. We learn who each other are, and we, and we care for each other. Now, in this book of Acts, right underneath these verses is the same group of people selling all their stuff, and Ananias and Sapphira, which if you don't know the story, they sold their land. They sold their land, and then they came and lied to the apostles about it, and God killed them dead right then and there. And what I think that that's in there for is so you understand this. Even if we're all doing everything perfect, there's still going to be some knuckleheads in the group. And that's where forgiveness comes in. See, we also have to forgive each other. And there's going to be people in this room right now that you have a little bit of angst against. They may have done you wrong. That, that happens. I mean, Christians are people who are full of mistakes. The 
goal is to grow. Forgiveness is part of what we do. In Ephesians 4.32, when we're talking about uh, being forgiven, it says this, Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. One of the biggest things in churches is not forgiving. The more I get to know you, the more I'm going to get to know you. And sometimes I'm intolerable. I'll admit that. Sometimes I, when I'm working on stuff, and I'm sure my kid will tell you, because he's standing right next to me, sometimes I'm a bit intolerable. I might come to your house and help out and get a little angry. And I try really hard to deal with that. But you might have to forgive me, because I might be wrong. We might go to each other's houses and you might do something just horrible. I might have to forgive you too. The thing is, is as we grow together and get to know each other, a lot of times people don't want to do this stuff because there might have to be a little bit of this involved. You know, you might find out that so-and-so cusses like a sailor or drinks like a fish or watches dirty movies or who does horrible things. And they might get to know that about me and I might have to say, I'm sorry. Well, that's part of growing. You can't grow if you don't do those stuff, those things. We can't move together if we don't know each other's faults. I'm not perfect. I guarantee you you're not perfect. And if we grow together, we could at least say, hey, man, I've seen you doing that yesterday, and I might want to cut that out. But if I love you and say those types of things, well, now all of a sudden we're growing. But if I'm staying back here, you don't know me, and I see you act that way, and I come up and tell you how horrible of a sinner you are, I'm going to tell you that's probably the last time we're going to talk. If you come up and did the same thing to me, I would be like, here, I got something for you. Smack. Nobody wants that kind of stuff in their life. Nobody thinks if you care about them, then you're allowed to talk like that. But if you don't care, no one wants to hear that. So we don't grow. We just get mad. That's where bitterness, angry, anger, all those things start flooding our churches. And that's why, because of the distance. We're not really a part of each other's life, but it's easy to say, center, you know. So I encourage you this week, as we close, is this. Any of those things that we've seen the first church do, and I understand that these are just basic principles. I understand that there's not real deep theology that was talked about today. I know that if you study the Word, there's so much cooler stuff in it, and it just sounds amazing to talk about, and we could have went through all of that today. But the fact is, is this is where it happens. None of that stuff will matter to anyone if we don't have a family relationship with each other. And if we refuse to grow together, well, we'll die together. You ever go to an old church? Everybody's gray-haired. There's 10 of them left. They missed it. You know what? They're, they're going to sit there and they're going to die and then that doors will close. Guarantee you that could be us. All we have to do is miss it too. So this week, even if it's today, if God's talking to you, find somebody here. Get to know them. Not know them like, hey, buddy, and blow it off. But get to know them. Invite them over. Pray for them. Ask them if there's anything you can do. Maybe show up. Know they have a problem and just come help. If we're willing to do that, this will change. It will be amazing. I know that because the Bible said it. And we believe that's where the rules come from. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for allowing us to be here together. Lord, I just pray that you'd help us to be an effective church that cares, loves, and forgives each other. Lord, I just pray that we would honor you in all the things that we do. 
Help us to have a good day. In Jesus' name, amen.